Philippians chapter number 1, Philippians chapter number 1 in your Bibles. And uh, we wanted to focus all the singing on the name of Christ today. And if we're going to have Jesus as the center, then he ought to be the center of our songs and everything too. And, and uh, that's certainly our theme today. Uh, please make sure you do grab one of the calendars out there for you, our church calendar and um, want to make sure you get that on your way out. Also, there is a directory there for you to prank phone call all of our members. And uh, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Don't do that. And then um, our, you know how it is. Our, we, I ordered our magnets and they were, they were guaranteed in earlier this week. Well, they're not here. And uh, so they'll be in tomorrow. So if you want to swing by the church tomorrow, no, if you want to, we'll get them to you next week. And uh, there's a couple more things throughout the year we want to do um, just to keep our, our, our reminder about what our theme is. Oftentimes, and I'm guilty of this, and if I'm guilty as the pastor, probably some, some of us in here are guilty too, is that we have a theme, and then by March, we're like, wait, what's the theme again? And so we, we don't want that to be the case. We want to keep it in front of us what the theme is. And, uh, and, and all year long, we want to emphasize living a Christ-centered life. Living for Jesus 24-7. 24-7. It's called the Christian life, not the Christian weekend. And uh, so we want to emphasize that all year long. Now, there is one thing you can do t today as well, which is a cool new thing we haven't done. On my phone here, my, my page, when you click the power button, uh, my screenshot, there's my wife. But as you go into where my apps and everything are, there is our theme right there, 24-7, living a Christ-centered life. Now, these are downloadable for free on our website, and uh, so you can go right to gbclongbeach.com or .org, and uh, right on the front page there, you'll see our theme, and it says download theme. And you can click on that, and for your, there's one for your smartphone, there's one for your desktop, there's one for your tablet. And there's one for your watch, too, if you have an iWatch or something like that. Super easy to do. And if you'd like to do that, uh, I'd like you to put that somewhere where you'll see it. And monthly, we're going to be coming up with a, a new screensaver. So every month, there'll be something new for you to put on there so that you can keep it fresh in your mind. Because I know how it is as well. That screensaver is going to look the same after three months. and you won't, even, you won't even see it anymore. You'll just see the apps on your phone or whatever. And so we're going to have it switched for you once a month. All of that. And we've got some other things, like I said, throughout the year we're going to be giving away. Just to try to keep in front of you all year long and keep in your mind, hey, let's drill it in that we're going to be a Christian 24-7. When I'm in the drive-thru today after church, I'm going to be a Christian. When I'm at work tomorrow, I'm going to be a Christian. When I'm at the mall, uh, you know, I'm going to be a Christian, even if the store is crowded, you know, whatever it is. I'm going to be a Christian all the time. And keeping that mentality, that's what we're looking for. That's what the theme is about, living a Christ-centered life. That's what the message is about this morning. But before we get into the message... Um, I, I noticed that uh, <clears throat> there, as I look around the room, there might be some angry faces at me today because uh, the balcony's closed. And uh, so some of you are like, you know what, you did this. I can't believe you did this to me this morning, Pastor. Hey, Brother Jeff did it, okay? Blame him. Where, he's not even here. He left. He's like, you know what, I don't want to blame, blame Brother Schroeder. Okay, you got to pick somebody, all right? So beat up Brother Schroeder if you've got a problem with it. Now, we do have, uh, like we said before, you'll notice when you come in, our last two rows are roped off. That's for folks coming in late. Uh, you know, so we'll make sure we get those ropes off once the service starts so people coming in a little bit late can sit back there and not have to come down to the front row if that's the only available seat. But uh, for, there's, there's about 10 reasons why we've closed the balcony. 
And, uh, and if we need to, we'll open it again at some point. But several reasons, including ushers, security, uh, uh, the spirit, all of that. There's many reasons why. And uh, so I'd appreciate it if you can sit down here. Now, if you've got, you know, something super contagious and you showed up to church today for some reason, maybe sit in the balcony. But other than that, we want you down here and uh, certainly helps the spirit of our service. And then there's one more thing. Uh, as you're turning to Philippians chapter 1, and you're probably already there, I did want to make mention of something. You know, many things that we do in church... Are, are simply done out of tradition. They say, what do you mean by that? I mean, they're not biblically commanded. Like, for instance, and I talked a little bit about this on Wednesday, but um, the, uh, the choir, for instance, we, there's no biblical command, thou shalt have a choir. You know, and there's no command as to, as to thou shalt have only men in the choir or only women or a mix. Teenagers shall not be in the choir. All of that is just church tradition. Uh, uh, you, you know, and, and it's up to the individual churches to decide that. Other ministries uh, would include different things you see around the church. Security. Uh, there's no biblical mandate to have a nursery. There's no biblical mandate to have Sunday school. And there's also, uh, uh, or, or ushers. And so I say all that because we had some, uh, one or two people question uh, that we had last week a, a lady usher in our church. And, uh, and, and I don't think it was asked in the wrong way. It was asked kind of third party, but, but it wasn't, and it wasn't in the wrong spirit, I don't believe. But you say, well, pastor, what's, what's the deal with that? We've never done that before. Yeah, it's, we've never done that before. And for 95% of you, you're like, what's the big deal? Just move on, pastor. But let me talk to maybe the other 5% that are questioning that. There is, no, there is no reason biblically why we should or should not have lady ushers or men ushers. It is all up to the church. It is all up to the leadership of the church. There's really no biblical mandate one way or another. It is a ministry of service. We allow ladies to take our money for couples conference and things in the lobby. And I think we can allow ladies to take our money in the auditorium as well. We'll let anybody take your money in this church. But um, no, I'm kidding. But uh, and we have, we have, you know, guidelines for every ministry that we're in, but it's a ministry of service. It's not a ministry of leadership. It's a ministry to serve. And, uh, and so I, I, I can't find, and it came about, you say, well, why didn't we have them before? I don't know that it ever came up, but we were doing our GBC teams, and uh, someone said, hey, I see the list here for, uh, for uh, ushers. Are, is anybody welcome? And I said, well, I don't see why not. And so I said, why not? And so um, I think it'll be a great thing because, and I'm not going to spend a lot more time on this. I'm going to talk for one more minute. Because I, I see ladies come in with kids and different things, and sometimes they're loud. And then you've got this old guy that's an usher coming up, smells funny like all of our ushers do, you know, looks like they just are a zombie walking out. Take that baby to the nursery. You know, we don't want that. And so I think ladies could definitely help with some of those situations, okay? So, and if you have a question about that, the right thing to do is not be like, this church is going downhill. That's ridiculous. Come talk to me and, uh, and let me show you Bible, okay? That's the right way to do it. Don't do the devil's job for them, you know what I'm saying? Don't spread discord. Just come talk to the pastor and it's all good and we're all friends. That's my explanation. Philippians chapter 1. All right, Philippians chapter number one, look down if you would, and I'm just kidding about the ushers, we have great ushers, okay, they don't smell funny, most of them, and uh, so chapter one of Philippians, 
And I want to read a couple verses here and launch into the message on our theme today. Now, I'm excited. I want to tell you this. I, t- I said I was going to say anything else, but I'm just going to quickly, 30 seconds. I have a new series starting next Sunday morning, and I have a series starting this Wednesday. This Wednesday, we're getting into the book of Ecclesiastes. Great book. Great book. It's going to help you. So Wednesday, be here at 7 o'clock for that. Next Sunday morning, because we want to keep Christ at the center, we're going to be talking about Christ for several weeks And we're going to be talking specifically about the parables of Jesus Christ. And so the teaching, what's a parable? It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And so when Jesus said, when Jesus gave like an illustration or a story, a a, a sower went forth to sow his seed. Well, what's he talking about? So we're going to look at those parables for the next several weeks, and I think it's going to be a huge blessing. Philippians chapter 1 verse 18, the Bible says, What then? Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation or deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. And here is our theme verse for the year. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. As long as Paul is breathing, his heart beats Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And I feel guilty sometimes myself that I can be all about church, I can be all about Jesus when I'm here, and throughout the week as I come to work, sometimes I'm at church working, and I'm more about paperwork than I am about Jesus. Sometimes I can be out uh, doing, running an errand or, or going to the store or something or picking up something from Bonds or Alberts or whatever it is, and I can be more about the task and not about Jesus because as I'm walking around, I'm not viewing people as saved or lost. I'm just thinking, get out of my way. i got to get in the store and out of the store in 30 seconds because I'm a man. And sometimes that's how we think, and I don't want that for my life. I want every heartbeat to be Jesus in my life. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Let's pray. We'll jump in. Father, help us, please, to live as a Christian, as as one that is a disciple and called of Jesus Christ. Help this message in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Paul is in prison. He's rejoicing that the gospel is being preached. If you remember our study on uh, Philippians from uh, earlier this year, I guess it was, or or I should say last year, and uh, he's in prison and he's talking about, hey, you know, people were preaching Christ uh, for the wrong reason. They're trying to gather a crowd. They're trying to steal away people from me and all of that. But I'm just glad the gospel's being preached. And he says here in verse number uh, uh, 19, uh, he says that, uh, and I know that I'm going to be delivered. What's he saying? He's in prison. And he's saying, I know that I'm going to be delivered through your prayer and through the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. So he's rejoicing. He's relying upon the people for, uh, and uh, the help of the Holy Spirit for his deliverance. And then in verse 20, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, he's saying, hey, whatever may come my way as I'm in prison, with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. He knows it's possible that he gets martyred. He does later, but not now. But he knows it's possible, and he's okay with it. 
Why is he okay with it? Because of verse 21. He says, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. That formula should be in our life. To me, to, to live equals Christ. To die equals gain. What does that mean? That means that Paul knew <clears throat> that, that even if he were to die there, he wouldn't be losing anything. He would be gaining. What would he be gaining? If your heart beats for Jesus on this earth and you die, guess what happens? You see him face to face. You get more Jesus. And he says, look, I only have a little bit here, but, but one day, if this is the end of my life, let it be because I get more Jesus that way. And so that's what he's saying. To me to live is Christ, to die, hey, is gain. And for us, every heartbeat should be for Jesus Christ. Every minute of every day should be about Jesus Christ, 24-7. To me, to live is Christ. And if I die, guess what? It's gain. When Robert Cole passed away, he didn't lose anything. He gained something. When Betty Sahid passed away, she didn't lose anything. She gained something. She gained a glorified body that doesn't suffer pain anymore and doesn't have cancer anymore. She gained an opportunity to sit with Jesus Christ. The people that have passed recently, the people that will soon pass, they're not, if they're Christians, they're not losing, they're gaining. And Paul is saying, hey, I get to see Christ. The, you'll notice in Paul's writing, if you look at Philippians, and we're going to look at Colossians and just and some other verses in a minute, the, the, the Christian life, as I mentioned earlier, was not a weekend for Paul. It was a life. His life was Christ. Jesus was the center. 24-7 Jesus for Paul. The goal of this year is to get us to live the Christian life with Jesus at the center. Jesus at the center. We, it's funny that we expect Christ to bless us when we don't talk to him or think about him for six days out of the week. But what's funny to me is that when you seek first the kingdom of God, all these things shall be added unto you. You know who the most blessed people in our church are? The people who put Jesus first. You know who's uh, people who are most blessed in their, even in their business, is the ones who put Jesus Christ first. That's it. I'm not talking about living the Christian weekend. I'm not talking about living like a Christian Wednesday night, Sunday morning, and Sunday night. We're talking about living for Jesus all the time. We're talking about living for Jesus at work. We're talking about living for Jesus at the, at, at the, at the mall or at the restaurant, at your family's house, in your neighborhood, wherever you are, living for Jesus on vacation. When you go on vacation, you ought not take a vacation away from Christ. Jesus. Jesus. Jesus, sweetest name I know, fills my every longing, keeps me singing as I go. Look at chapter 2 of Philippians, chapter 2, verse 9. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, Jesus, and given him, Jesus, a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What does it mean to highly exalt? It means, and I wrote this in my Bible, if you want to come look at it, it's right at the top. It means to elevate above all others. It means to raise to the highest position. And God has said it is the name of Jesus that is above every name on earth. 
Jesus' name was greater than Nero. Jesus' name was greater than any Caesar, any president, anybody that's ever lived. The name of Christ is above. His name is elevated above all others and all that we do. Jesus is to be the center. Jesus first. We live like him and we live for him 24-7. We need to live like him and we need to live for him 24-7. We just came through Christmas and my daughter bought me a gift. And uh, the, our, our kids, you know, we have our kids buy each other gifts every, every Christmas and for their birthdays. And they buy their parents gifts because I like gifts. And uh, I give them $4,000 to buy gifts for dad. And no, I'm just kidding. But, uh, but that, my kids got creative this year. And uh, Titus bought me a, uh, he, he bought me a big, huge pack of grape Skittles. I love grape Skittles. I love grape anything except for grapes. I love, I do love grapes too, but uh, I love the flavor grape. It's not even a natural occurring flavor, but I love it. And so, and I, I've been loving those, those grape things. He also bought me like the, the hottest hot sauce in the world or something, and we tried it and about died. But it's all right. He didn't. I did. But, uh, but my daughter thought it'd be hilarious to buy me a pair of socks. He said, what's hilarious about a pair of socks? Well, I will show you because I happen to be wearing this pair of socks it is a pair of socks that has the face of our cat on it. All over it. Now you say, well, pastor, why are they so white? My calves are so muscular that when I put the sock on, it's, okay, maybe that's not, I don't think, I don't think that's the thing there. My ankle, my ankle is so muscular, but that stretches out. They're black socks, and all over has the terrified face of our cat, Louie. And he's always terrified. He's never at rest. He's always <gasps> like that, you know. And especially since we got the dog, I'm just like, get him, Bowser, get him, Bowser, you know. And so it's probably not a good thing. Don't tell my daughter. But anyway, but so I'm wearing, and she's asked me, I think, seven times since Christmas, Dad, have you worn the socks yet? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wear the socks. I think we're at a blood oath now where I had to wear them. So anyway, that's what I got the socks. But, but I guess she was just wanting to be funny, but I guess maybe also she's wanting me to remember Louie. I don't know. But we're giving you stuff today and showing you pictures and downloading stuff to get you to remember him just every day. And you may say, well, pastor, we get it. That's obvious. But I'm going to tell you, sometimes we forget. Sometimes we can go days and uh, without thinking about keeping Christ at the center. Some folks maybe go, go days and weeks without reading their Bible or praying, and we're not keeping Christ at the center. So just quickly this morning, I'm going to just go through quickly here some things. What will it take to live a Christ-centered life? Take your Bible, go back a couple books, 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. Same author, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul is still speaking here. 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. He actually wrote this before he wrote Philippians. But as you're looking at 2 Corinthians chapter number 5, once you look at verse 14 and 15, Paul says, For the love of Christ constraineth us. I mean, it, it, it almost makes us, because he loves us so much, it, it, it forces me to, to, to serve and love him. Because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. We died with Christ. We don't have to, we don't have to, and, 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 let me explain further, in verse 15, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves but unto him which died for them and rose again. 
He's saying, look, if, if Christ died for you, which he did, and you've accepted that salvation, and you're born again, you're not supposed to live for you anymore. You're supposed to live for Christ. By the way, not only is that the expectation because of what he's did, but it's also the blessing. Because living for him, he blesses you more and more abundantly. What's it going to take to live a Christ-centered life? First of all, it takes this. His will comes before my will. His will comes before my will. It says here that, look, we're not supposed to live henceforth unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. His will before mine. By the way, Jesus is the perfect example of someone laying aside their will for another's, for a greater. Jesus would say, hey, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me, but not my will. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And he said, Lord, you know, in, his, in his human state, hey, who, who would want to go through the cross? But he said, my will is submitted to God. His will before mine. If I'm going to keep Christ 24-7 in front of my eyes, his will before mine. William Booth was, of course, the, start, uh, the, the founder of the Salvation Army. And uh, he was once asked by a preacher to reveal the secret of his success. And uh, he started crying. And this is what William Booth said. He said, I will tell you the secret. God has had all there was of me. There have been men with greater brains than I have, men with greater opportunities. But from the day that I got the poor of London on my heart and caught a vision of what Jesus could do with them, I made up my mind that God should have all of William Booth. Now, J. Wilbur Chapman was the, was the preacher. You may know that name. He's a very famous preacher of old. And here's what he said. He said that the greatness of Williams Booth, he said, I, will, I learned from William Booth that the greatness of a man's power is the measure of his surrender. The greatness of a man's power is the measure of his surrender. And I think if we're going to live a life for Jesus Christ, we've got to surrender our will. This is what I want. No, 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 no. God, what do you want? Hey, they said this to me at the office. They said this to me at church. They offended me. Well, I'm going to... No, 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 stop. What does Jesus want? What does Jesus want? Well, I got this decision to make. There's this job coming my way, and I get a lot more money for it this way, uh, but I have to work Sundays and Wednesday. Oh, hold on. What does Jesus want? And do you think that Jesus can't help you in some other way if you <laughs> surrender your life to him? We often think, well, if I surrender my life, that's it. No, Jesus can bless you far and above what you may ask or think. And the question is, why does my will matter? If I believe I was created for a purpose, what does my will matter? Because I want to find that purpose. The real question is, what does God want of my life? I need to empty myself of my will, and I need to present God an empty cup and say, fill my cup, Lord. I lift it up, Lord. Come and quench this thirsting of my soul. I want to do what you tell me to do. My pastor uh, used to say uh, years ago when I was growing up, he always had a famous quote that he said so many times. And you have to kind of think about it. As a teenager, I was like, what does that mean? But the more I thought about it, the truer it is. He would say this, there is no life so centered as a self-empty life. And there is no life so empty as a self-centered life. Man, that's so true. I read a story about a pastor in New York that he would talk to people in the community and, and, and they'd be talking to him about Christ and he would encourage them to just surrender their lives to him, to Christ. And he would tell them, surrender your life to Christ, surrender your life to Christ. 
and, and, and you know, it, it, he was in New York City, and so he would take them to, and he's what, called, what he called the, the best visual aid ever. And he would take them, I think it's to the RCA building, I don't know what it is now, but years ago, and, and, and there's a, in the lobby of that building, there is Atlas. You know Atlas, the big, strong, buff guy, and he's carrying the world? You know, the, I think it's a Greek mythology or something, you know. And so he would take him into the lobby and show the strongest, you know, you know most well-built guy sitting there holding and being crushed under the weight of the world. Across the street was a church. So he'd take him over to the lobby and say, look at this. And he'd say, now come with me. And he'd walk across the street. And he'd take them into the church and back behind, you know, in New York, there's all these old buildings with all these carvings and everything. He'd take them in there. And back behind the pulpit, there was a small picture of Jesus, eight, nine, ten years of age. And he's sitting there holding his hand out. And in the palm of his hand is the world right across the street. And he would tell people, he'd say, now you can live like him, weighed down trying to carry the weight of the world on your shoulders crushing you. Or you can surrender your life to the one who holds the world in the palm of his hand. What a great illustration. What a great illustration for us. I want to say, secondly, what does it take to live a Christ-centered life? His will comes before my will. Secondly, his word has the final say. His word has the final say in my life. That's it. What does the word say? Take your Bible, go to 2 Timothy. Go to the right. Go to 2 Timothy chapter number 3. You'll hit 1st and 2nd Thessalonians after a minute, then go to 1st and 2nd Timothy, 2nd Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. 2nd Timothy 3, verses 16 through 18. Here's what Paul, again, Paul writing these things. Here's what Paul says in verse 16 of 2nd Timothy chapter 3. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. The word inspiration is God-breathed. God said it. And it is profitable for doctrine, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be, and that doesn't mean a pastor. A man or woman of God could be anybody in here that is striving to live for God. Now, I know he's talking to a pastor in Timothy. But, but the man of God is not, is not specifically just for a pastor. The man of God may be perfect or mature or complete, thoroughly furnished unto all good works, equipped fully unto all good works. What's he saying? He's saying the Bible is enough. The Bible is enough. When the reformers came out uh, after Martin Luther you know, protested against the, the Catholic Church, what was Martin Luther protesting? He said, sola scriptura. Basically, what that means, only the Bible. And he would say, look, if you can show me from the Bible about the immaculate conception or, 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 or uh, indulgences or papal authority or anything like that, then I'll change my belief. But until you can show me from the Bible, I'm not believing anymore. I'm done. Why? He said, because this is it. This is it, the word of God, and that's how we ought to live. In Acts 17, 11, these were more noble than those in Thessalonica, the people of Berea, in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. That's part of our belief as Baptists. We believe in the Bible. That's what the B stands for, <laughs> you know, the, the, the Bible. We believe the Bible to be our final authority in all matters of faith and practice. That means we need to consult it, we need to read it, we need to know what it says. 
1914, Ernest Shackleton, you may have heard that name before, he sailed from England with a team of people on a ship called the Endurance in 1914, and, and they were going to Antarctica. They were going to be the first team of people to sail uh, uh, across the South Pole. Well, disaster struck, as you can imagine. That doesn't sound like a nice journey. And the ship, the Endurance, was trapped in ice for a while. They escaped onto a nearby island called Elephant Island, and then the ship was crushed by the ice and sank, and uh, they were marooned, and, and you know they had little hope. They're in Antarctica, for crying out loud, or close there too. And uh, so what they did was they had a little lifeboat that was 20 feet long. And Ernest Shackleton and five other people got in that lifeboat, and they said, okay, we're going to make the journey to try to find help and bring it back. The nearest island was 800 miles. 800 miles. Now, keep in mind that this was near Antarctica, in, in Antarctica, where some of the most dangerous waters in the world are. These, this, the, these six people on this 20-foot lifeboat were at sea, I think, eight days or something like that. In some of the most treacherous waters, they, they recorded waves 100 feet high. I would just be like, I'm just going to die. You know what? Just take me home, Lord. That is terrifying to me. 100-foot waves. And they, in, they endured it, no pun intended, because their ship's name was Endurance. But Frank Worsley had been the captain of the Endurance, and he had a compass and a sextant, which was how you guide through the stars. And he was the one that navigated. They reached land, they got help, and they went back and got all the men. It's an incredible story, an incredible story. But had he not had those instruments to guide him, man, they would have been lost at sea. Everybody would have been dead. And what I'm saying is in the stormy seas of life, there has to be something we can rely on that points us the right way and doesn't change. Oh boy, I wish we had something like that. Oh wait, we do. We have the word of God. Stormy seas, it'll always point you right. The word of God. Put yourself under the authority of God's word. I must hasten. He will, that means I have to speed up. I don't know why I said it like that. I'm an Old Testament prophet all of a sudden. We must hasten for tea and crumpets later. All right, his will comes before my will. Secondly, his word has the final say in my life. I've been auditioning for the new Downton Abbey. I had to, you know, get my uh, speech going that way. Number three, his work is more important than my work. This is going to hit some of you. It's going to hit some of you when you think about this. Pastor, my work's important. I didn't say your work wasn't important. I believe all of your work is important. Every one of you. Unless you're selling drugs. But otherwise, I believe your work's important. But Christ's work is more important. More important. And Jesus modeled this so perfectly. In John 4, 34, he said, Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work. Jesus did what the Father sent him to do, because he was living 24-7. Now, yes, my thoughts need to be on Christ while I'm at work. That's what I'm talking about, yes. But my thoughts should be more on the ministry that God has given me. That's what I'm referring to. Is that, yes, you, and I've worked many jobs in my life. I, and, and I know that I, I work a different type of job than you. You go out into the workforce, you go out into a, 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 probably a majority of an unsaved environment, and you labor, and your job is important. You're supplying and providing for your family. Your, your job is important. Well, I don't like my job. Well, it's still important. What you're doing is valuable and important. But what I'm saying is, it is more important that Christ's work goes forward. That is what I'm saying. Your work's important, but his work is more important. And what, what ministry has God given you to do? 
I remember in college, I worked so many different jobs. But I tell you, the job that I looked forward to the most was the bus ride on Saturday. Because it wasn't my work. I'm going to Google and working as security and paying my bills and coming home. And, and you know, oh, it was cool. I saw some celebrities. And it was cool to, to get free food and all that. And it was fun. And, I, and that was, it was worth it because it was paying my way. But, but I tell you, I got more fulfillment from being on a bus ride on Saturday morning than I ever did from working anywhere else. And you'll find that when you invest your life into the work of Jesus Christ, you will find fulfillment like you never knew. There was a man by the name of Henry Martin. He was a Cambridge University student uh, 200 years ago, 100 years ago. He was honored at 20 for his, his achievements in mathematics. In fact, he, he got the highest uh, possible recognition for mathematics at that time. But he said at 20 years old, he said, I just feel empty. He said, you know, even getting these awards, is only, I'm only grasping at a shadow, he said. He evaluated his life when he was 20 years old, and he sailed as a missionary to India at 24. He said, you know what, mathematics could make me a lot of money, but it's not fulfilling me for 24. And he said this, he wrote it down, he said, Lord, let me burn out for you. He lived for seven more years. That's it. But he translated the New Testament into three difficult language. Why? Languages. Why? Because he valued the Lord's work. And I want to tell you, I'm not telling you just quit your job unless God's telling you to become full-time Christian. But I'm, I'm not saying all that. What I'm saying is value the Lord's work. Get involved with what Jesus wants you to do. His work is more important than my work. Number next, what's the next one here? What will it take to live a, fully, uh, a Christ-centered life? His worship will fill my mouth and my heart. His worship will fill my heart and my mouth. I love a song called I'll Only Worship. I'll worship only at the feet of Jesus. I'll worship only at the feet of Jesus. I have no other idols before him. I think about it. You don't need to turn there, but Revelation chapter number four, you know the verses, verses nine through 11, a scene in heaven, and it says, and when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne who liveth forever and ever, the four and 20 elders who picture us as saved saints, fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for thou hast created all things and for thy pleasure they are and were created. They fall down to worship Christ. It was Johann Sebastian Bach, the famous uh, uh, classical music writer who said all music should have no other end and aim than the glory of God and the soul's refreshment. Where there is not remembered, where, where this is not remembered, there is no real music, but only devilish hubbub. <laughs> That's what he said. He used to head all of his compositions with, compositions with JJ, which stood for uh, uh, Jesus Juva, which means Jesus help me. And he ended them with SDG, the initials for Soli, uh, Soli Dea Gratia, which means to God alone be the glory. I'm a little, I'm not a little rusty on my Latin, so I mean, I got that right. But what was he saying? He's saying Christ first. Christ at the beginning of the song. Christ is honored as I sing and as I write the song. And only to God be the glory. I want my life to be lived in worship to God. I want to sing songs about God. I want to talk about Him. I want to praise God publicly. I want to praise Him in my house. I want to praise Him at the store. Now, I'm not saying you need to go to Walmart and stand on some counter somewhere and just start praising. You're going to get kicked out. And I'm not bailing you out. I remember one time I went to Walmart over there on Carson and Lakewood in that area. And uh, I, was at the, I was in the store and I heard somebody just yelling. 
And to be honest, that's not abnormal in Walmart around here. And uh, so I was like, what's it this time? And is it one of our members? Whew, good, it's not. And, uh, but I remember walking up to the front of the store with my cart, you know, and I see a guy out there, like right past the, the cash registers, and he's like, Lord, I want to give you glory. And I'm like, okay. He's like, because I'm in enemy territory. I was like, what? <laughs> Walmart. You didn't know. That's the seat of Satan. Walmart. Have you seen those rollbacks? They're trying to get you in there. And uh, I'm just kidding. I don't know what he was talking about. You know, and you got to do this, and you got to do that. And, and I was just, it, it, about, you know, just the seat of Satan. And I, I think what had happened was, like, they kind of ran him off for some reason, and now it's all of a sudden, they're the seat of Satan. And, and he's out there. And I was like, well, maybe that's not the way to do it. But living a Christ-centered life, it ought to be on our mind to praise God. Anyone ever caught you praising God by accident? Something happens at work and something good happens. Oh, praise God, they got donuts left. And they're like, wait, what? I want to praise the Lord, there's some donuts left. Is there a maple bar in there? Hallelujah! You know, whatever. Have you, have you had those times where, where Jesus is just coming out? You should, because it should be a 24-7 thing. His praise in my neighborhood, everywhere that I go. When I go for a walk, whatever it is, I want to be in worship to God. Lastly, and we're done. All it take to live a Christ-centered life his way is the path that I will walk. His way is the path I will walk. You know, becoming a Christian changes everything. You're a new creature. You have new desires. You're supposed to have new desires, a new attitude. When we become disciples, that means we're supposed to be learners. We're supposed to be learning about Christ. We're supposed to immediately begin following him. It's not, you, you know, it's not I get saved and then 20 years later I start serving. No, we're supposed to serve immediately. We're supposed to be a disciple immediately. We're supposed to be, be walking with God immediately and growing in our faith immediately. That's how it's supposed to be because discipleship is a life. It's not a hobby. It's full-time. It's 24-7. I want to show you one last verse. Go with me to Colossians. Colossians, if you would. It was Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. And uh, way back when we started there. Colossians chapter 3. I love these verses. If I can find them. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, I want you to look at just the first four verses. I'll give you a story or two and we're done. Colossians chapter 3. Verse 1 says this, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. Colossians 3, 1 where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection, what you love, on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. The old person you were before you knew Christ, you're not that person anymore. You are now in Christ. So live for Christ. Look at verse 4. When Christ, who is our life shall appear. Then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Christ, who is our life. He's our life. Ought to be that way. My daughter, uh, Zoe, was watching um, a cartoon on Netflix uh, recently about Jim Elliot. Jim Elliot was a famous missionary to the Aka Indians. Of course, was killed by them at a young age. But man, I was watching that cartoon with her, and I'd come into the room and look at it and go out, you know, and come back in later. It was so convicting. Just the story of Jim Elliot. Just the fact that he lived it 
I mean, he was always just witnessing to people, living for God. He was at college. He was studying. He was going to work. He was on the wrestling team, doing all this stuff. But it was consistently about Christ. And he was the one that said he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Boy, it's so convicting. And I thought, man, I want to live that way. I want to live all the time for Christ. Yes, I have to go to the gas station. Yes, I have to go to the store. Yes, I have to go to work. Whatever it may be, but I can still live like a Christian and keep Christ at the center wherever I am. I want to live like the men and women of old, like Charles Spurgeon, D.L. Moody, Amy Carmichael, Martin Luther, Billy Sunday, Jim Elliott, Hudson Taylor, John the Apostle, Paul, Jesus. People that were all about the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we're supposed to be. I read a story about Martin Luther, of course, the guy who started the Reformation in the 1500s. He was giving a eulogy for a pastor friend of his. And here's what he said. In 1522, he said, what we preached, he lived. That was all he said. What we preached, he lived. May that be said of us, that what he preaches, we live. I want to encourage you today. That's our theme. It's our, it's our, it's our purpose for this year. We want to keep in our church, and our personal life, Jesus front and center. 24-7, I'm a Christian. 24-7, I'm going to live for God. 24-7, I'm going to try to keep Jesus in front of me. Am I going to fail? Yes! But guess what? I'm going to get back up the next day. I'm going to try to live for Christ. Can I ask you this morning, are you fully follower, a fully committed follower of Christ? Will you decide this year, 24-7, I'm going to do my best to live for Jesus? His will comes before my will. His word has the final say. His work's more important than my work. His worship will fill my heart and mouth. His way is the path I'll take. Father, I pray that you'd help us today, that we would keep you front and center in everything we do. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, and I wonder today,